The L really argues that not just from a philosophical standpoint, but from a practical standpoint, that love is critically important to the work that we are called to do within schools and community. To get to that place of conversation that we need to get to, we need to start with our place of connection. And that goes back to love. Affirmation, validation, uh, a sense of belonging is so important. Montgomery County. My name is Brandon Langer and welcome to the OPL podcast. This is our conversation with educators throughout Pennsylvania and around the country about topics that are important to education. And we're very excited today to have a conversation broadly about social emotional learning, perhaps with a little bit of UDL. And we have some terrific guests with us this morning. And we have terrific office staff from the Office of Professional Learning to join in on the conversation as well. Once again, my name is Brandon. I'm the instructional technology administrator in our office. But I want to pass it around, let everybody introduce themselves, and then we'll get kicked off with Dr. Ron Whitaker and hear a little about little bit about his work, as well as some great work we're doing within the office. So I'm going to pass it over to Erin to introduce herself, and we'll get started. Hi, good morning. My name is Erin Barry. I'm a project consultant in the Office of Professional Learning at Montgomery County Intermediate Unit. Good morning. I'm Carrie Kessler, a project consultant at the Montgomery County Intermediate Unit. Good morning, I'm Christy Ruth. I'm the program supervisor for the Montgomery Virtual Program within the MCIU. Good morning, uh, my name is Ron Whitaker and I am a professor and administrator at Cabrini University. And Dr. Ron Whitaker, we are um, engaged in this conversation today from an SEL lens, um, focusing on this idea of relationship skills, one of our competencies in SEL as it relates to the CASEL framework. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, would you be able to explain your help framework somewhat so we have some context for the conversation we're going to engage in? Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Aaron and colleagues. Once again, it's just an honor to be in this critical conversation with you. About three and a half years ago, I really had this personal and professional, I guess, like aha moment. I just finished up facilitating a, a professional development and as I was riding home, I really had was struggling a little bit in terms of the work that I'm really trying to lead. I, I really got tired of going into schools and offering these trite one and done professional developments. Oftentimes, uh, district leaders, uh, whether that's superintendent or principal or perhaps even a board member, they will invite me in to give a talk on issues related to culturally responsive pedagogy or how to develop inclusivity infrastructures. But to me, I just didn't want to give like these simple steps when I felt that the work was a little bit more deeper. So that led to the HELP framework. And really, when we think about the HELP framework, it's titled HELP for a reason, because normally I would get emails or text messages or phone calls Uh, from these administrators asking for help. So as a result of that, I really had to think about, okay, how does this relate to the work that I'm trying to lead? So when we look at the HELP framework, there are different tenets. The H really causes us to deal with the history of isms and biases that still exist within society 
and also intersects into uh, schools and school districts. The E really challenges us to think about the difference between equality and equity. Here's the argument. Oftentimes, you know, on our websites or in our conversations, we're suggesting that we're doing equity work, but I would argue at best we are just equality managers. The L really argues that not just from a philosophical standpoint, but from a practical standpoint, that love is critically important to the work that we are called to do within schools and community. And then the P really gives that practical, those practical prescriptions that I can offer to colleagues that's really uh, serious about going deeper with their inclusivity goals. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, giving us some context for this. As I alluded to before, we're focused today on the L in your HELP framework around this idea of love, specifically as it relates to relationship skills, which is one of the five SEL competencies in the CASEL framework. Can you talk to us a little bit about the L in your framework and its impact on relationship skills? Yes, it would be my honor. You know, in many ways, I probably should cite Tina Turner uh, when she asked the question, what's love got to do with it? And I would argue that love has everything to do with the work that we're trying to lead, particularly through a SEL lens, right? The argument is this, how you define something or in this context, how we define our students, our parents, our community correlates with how we engage them, right? So if we're defining students, our parents, from a deficit perspective, we're going to engage them from a deficit perspective. In many ways, uh, whether it is directly or indirectly, we are labeling our students and uh, parents and community leaders as nobodies. Right. And, you know, we don't fully value them. So if we don't value students, parents, uh, some of our community members, how can we ever have an authentic relationship with them? If in our minds and in our practices, we're pathologizing them. So I think it's critically important that we really deal with love, not just from a philosophical standpoint, but the practical realities of what happens when we do not value students, when we do not value parents, when we do not value the cultural capital that we know exists within our communities. Thank you for that great explanation, Dr. Whitaker. Thinking about where we're at right now, we're sort of coming out of a pandemic, or we mm -hmm. hope that we are, and the idea that things may never be normal again, which may be good or not. Um, what can we do to build this sense of love in our spaces, in ourselves, or even in our everyday lives? Yeah, now that's a very good question. I would argue that it first starts with ourselves, right? And our ability to critically reflect, our, our ability to really uh, deal with, you know, and here's the thing, I'm not saying this uh, to demonize humans because we, we all are in the same boat. We all have biases, right? Every human has biases. It does not mean that you're a bad person. It means that you're a human. Now, here's the thing. We can critique one another if people keep on telling you about your biases and you do nothing about it. So we have to really deal with our biases. We have to deal with the labels that we may put on students, our own communities, or even their parents. We have to deal with, you know, uh, the fact 
of if we're really being culturally responsive and welcoming to all of our students. And if not, why is that case? So all that to say is there's a lot of self-work. Now, coupled with that self-work, I think it's also important that we center self-care, right? So the other side of it is this. I, I want to assume goodwill. So as much as I'm saying we have a lot of work to do, here's the thing. Many of our educators, and, and I appreciate how you uh, provided the context, we are living in a moment that 20 years from now, if we're still alive, we're all going to say, wow, I survived 2020. I survived. Like we're going to have like those old shirts. I like I survived eighth grade or like that's what we're going to have. I survived 2020. I survived the pandemic. And we're going to think about, wow, how did we make it over? So the point is this. Let's assume goodwill that many of our educators and our leaders, they're committed to this work, but they're just flat out tired. They're tired because we're working harder. They're tired because here's the thing. In many of our programs, we never were, were taught to, to, to manage Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and all of these meetings. And, and we, if you have five or six Zoom meetings, when do you get your real work done? And not only that, now you're the teacher or the teacher assistant for your own child or children. And not only that, perhaps you're the teacher or teacher assistant and you're also the caretaker for you know some of the elders in your own family. So the point is this, self-care is very important where we have to take care of ourselves. We have to love on ourselves so that we can give that love to others. And then, it, it, you know, once we get to the third lane, I'm going to argue, now it takes us to be very courageous. It takes us to be courageous in terms of the conversations that we need to have as colleagues. It, it takes us to be courageous to take a stand and to say that we are committed to X, Y, and Z, even though we know that there's a whole lot of noise that's trying to shut down equity work, a social justice work. And those of us that are doing this work, they label us as radicals or fanaticals or whatever titles they want to give us. We have to be uh, really steadfast in terms of the strategic planning efforts that we're saying that we want to do, uh, whether it's within, within our districts or organizations, if we truly love the students and the communities, you know, as we're putting on our website, right? We're going to really have to show up and do the work. And, and can I ask a follow-up to that? Because you hit on a couple things uh, in the first couple questions here. One is a little bit about connecting with the parents and how important that is. The second piece that you just hit on that, that I think relates is assuming, I forget how you phrased it already, I'm sorry, but assuming almost goodwill. How do we assume good intent when someone is coming to a conversation with anger, when someone is coming yeah. to a conversation with rage, which yeah. is something that we're all, I think, seeing and dealing with. And I'm just curious your thoughts. I think we'd all have different ways to approach that. Let's assume in that person's reality that that they are they believe they are doing right how do you come to that conversation? Because I think yeah, it's that, that's so important. And I'm going to answer that. But can I back up real quickly? Because I, I like the first point, which you said with the parents. Now, for a lot of the students in the communities that I am working with and that I've been working with for over the last 15 years or so, uh, for many of those students, they are what we would label our most vulnerable students. And Here's the thing. I would argue that they're dealing with intergenerational trauma. And oftentimes our school leaders are saying their parents don't care about education. And that's not the case for many of their parents. 
schools are also ways in which their trauma is triggered because the school system never served them well. And if we're going to be honest, it never served their siblings well. We're dealing with generations of disenfranchisement from different educational systems. So we have to really deal with the trauma that many of our most vulnerable students, their parents, our guardians, our community leaders are dealing with because of biases within the systems. I wish I had more time, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. We know that the system is perfectly designed to deliver the results it produces. So we have to show up for our students and also show up for their parents who are also dealing with trauma. Now, to your question, I think it's very important. Paulo Freire, he, he, he frames this as this, you know, the, the great uh, critical, you know, philosopher, uh, you know, such wisdom, such courage. He argues in many ways, he doesn't use this language, but I'll use it, that it is a game of chess where we have to think of strategies. Now, oftentimes we cannot get into those deep-rooted discourses because we're coming to the table already showing our frustration with one another, right? We're, we're showing up defensive. Uh, we've all been in meetings where you just know it's going to be one of those days. You can just feel the tension in the air when you walk in or even when you log on that you know this is going to be explosive today because you could see by body language, you can even, you could just read a sentence and just know, oh my God, that email, that, the, the first sentence in that email, just let me know how this is going to be. So Ferrari, he argues that for us to get to that place of conversation that we need to get to, we need to start with our place of connection, right? We have to start with our place of connection. And that may take a lot of work, but hopefully as educators, it won't take that much work, regardless of what side you stand on, red state, blue state, a Democrat, Republican, urban, suburban, suburban, rural, white, black, gay, straight, do we care about the students, right? Is that a place of connection? Do we really care about our students? Do we really value our students? Do we are, are we really committed to preparing them to the 21st century? We have to start at the place of connection. And, and if we could uh, find these connection spots, with those times when the conversations could go left or right, there has to be some norms that gets us back to our place of connection where we're not attacking one another, but rather we can deal with the problems of, of, of practice, even though we may be coming from different perspectives. If I can just interject for a second, Dr. Whitaker, it makes me think about parenting. And as a parent, what I've learned is when my child is upset or frustrated or angry, I try to approach it by allowing them to understand that it's okay to feel emotion and acknowledging that the way that they're feeling is not wrong. And I think that if we can sort of take that to the to the place of education, you know, parents are going to come to the table upset and parents are going to come to the table angry. And if we can acknowledge that that feeling is um, val like we see it, we understand it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think from past experience being a teacher, it, it it sort of lowers the frustration and it creates a sense of we're here for a common good. And that common good is your child. Here we go.
There we go. Now, and, and, and that is so rich. And I, I really appreciate the parent analogy because now I have a 13 year old. Right. And uh, uh, just six years ago, she was the sweetest thing walking. And now it's like, where did this kid come from? And where I'm learning, what I'm learning is this. I'm learning that I have to do more affirming than what I would call those harsh discipline moments, right? Where at the end of the day and at the end of the week, did she hear more, I love you, opposed to what you did wrong? And I think that we need to think about that with our parents and with students. Are we doing more affirming opposed to what's wrong with them or what's wrong with A or what's wrong with B? So, and that goes back to love. Affirmation, validation, uh, a sense of belonging is so important. So important. So Dr. Whitaker, when I think about love, to me, one of the greatest ways that you can show someone that you love them is just to simply give them your time. So you mentioned you have a teenager and it seems like in particular, young people really struggle with this concept. They have the technology right at their fingertips. They get those instant likes and those ads from the different social media platforms. So what's your advice for really navigating relationships in this era of social media? No, I, I mean, such a rich question. You're, you're right. Now, what we also know through the research is that with this generation, they're more depressed and they're dealing with mental health stressors. And, you know, that that's that's a very broad conversation. But we do know that there are some researchers that would tie it directly to social media. So at the end of the day, relationships matter, right? Relationships matter. How you show up for the students, when they walk into the room and when they walk into the classroom or into the school building, are we greeting them with words of affirmation or, hey, good to see you, or, you know what, I'm expecting you to have a great day. That doesn't take a tweet. That doesn't take a text. That just shows that we care for them. It could just be a simple fist bump where, you know, you're you're on your way to a meeting and they see with other colleagues and perhaps it's a very important meeting. But as you're walking down the hall, you're just giving them a fist bump where they know that in spite of what you got, what you have going on, they still matter. Right. It matters in our home and it matters in our educational settings where we could talk, but it's by our actions. And how about this? Students know when you're a fraud, <laughs> right? Students know when it's just a photo op, but they also know when they have a, a teacher, Christy, Carrie, who really loves them. And they can tell that you love them by your affection. But how about this? Even by the times where we have to protect them, when we have to pull them to the side and say, well, you know what? That can fly in my classroom because I know you, but this other teacher may not know you. Right. But then how about that? The third step of that is those times we have to correct them. But when you have that relationship, they know that it's coming from a pure place. And it's only, as you said, that time and those authentic, um, you know, not just authentic gestures, but just those sweet spots where we're building relationship with students, but also building community with uh, our external stakeholders. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. It's really not about the length of time. It's really about the authenticity in the moment. Thank you for that. Yes, and I'd like to add to that, Dr. Whitaker. My son has had his fair struggles um, through the early part of his education. And when he was in fifth grade, he was reflecting on something with his 
third grade experience, which was not positive. And he said, that teacher didn't believe in me. And so, you know, I was so shocked because sometimes as a parent, we don't think of our kids as having, you know, maybe some level of maturity or sort of having that understanding. And I thought, that's really amazing. And so when you're talking to us, you know, about the relationships and and doing fist pumps and, and kids knowing when you're a fraud, I think we do a disservice if we don't believe that our kids understand you know, emotions and understand, um, you know, people who are genuine versus not genuine. I think that's really important for us in education to realize that. Now, it's, it's, um, we may think that we're hiding it from students, but they know. Uh, About 10 years ago, it was a documentary uh, that was titled Too Important to Fail. And this documentary really focused on the narratives of African-American and Latinx males. And we know what the data suggests from a national perspective, right? In various contexts, urban, suburban, even in rural, we know what the data suggests. And it was this young man who probably was 19 years old and he was in a prison. And he said something very powerful. He said, you know, in the fourth grade, he had a teacher that berated him one day in front of the class and told him how his life was going to end up being very bad because of who he is and how he shows up. And he said, in that moment, something changed inside of me. You know, I stopped caring. I stopped believing in myself. Now, obviously, he didn't overlook perhaps some of the things that he did to get to the point. But what he was lifting up is how the place that he was hoping to give him hope, right, as he was dealing with, you know, family challenges and community challenges, even within those educational spaces, no one believed in him, right? Now, conversely, that same documentary highlighted the story of Urban Prep Academy, which is located in Chicago. And the original uh, Urban Prep Academy, they came up with the creed. Now they have different uh, academies now throughout the nation. And what we know about Chicago is not unique to Chicago. It's unique to many urban spaces where there are challenges and students are dealing with whether it's gangs or lack of resources, killings. But in this school for over 10 years, this is an all-male school, by the way, south side of Chicago, for over 10 years, 100% of their 12th grade class gets accepted into colleges and universities for over 10 years, which is remarkable. These young men, uh, they wear blazers and ties and, you know, there's like this uh, really celebration of what educational excellence looks like. Now, the principal, in that case, the headmaster, he says these words, as much as we value our education and our commitment to uh, academic rigor, the most important piece for us is how we start our morning. We start our morning in community where we affirm one another. Those students that made Uh, The honor roll, we celebrate them. Those students that were the student of the week, we celebrate them. We have student of the day, we celebrate them. And then they recite a creed, a creed that tells them who they are and who they can become instead of society's notions about, 
you know, how bad they are and how they're going to be a statistic. That's how they start their morning. And he says that is the most important part because that is the emotional piece that so many people overlook. Dr. Whitaker, I think I speak um, on behalf of everybody on the call here and everybody on our SEL team that I I would like to continue this conversation all weekend. So if you have a lot of time, we're just going to keep talking. <laughs> I love this uh, conversation around love, and I do think it's so important and quite frequently sort of overlooked and not valued the way it needs to be in our in our spaces with our young people. So. I appreciate you taking the time today to um, have some conversation with us, our whole entire team. I'm sure I speak on their behalf too. And we say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your brilliance and knowledge with us at the IU. And we look forward to engaging in conversation with you again soon. It would be my absolute honor. Uh, colleagues, thank you so much. And as you said, we have to do a part two or part three because here's the thing. I have to give the data too with love, right? So love isn't just philosophical. What we know by data is that it works, right? And what we know about what school districts and organizations show me the data, we can show you the data of why love works. So that'll be part two. That's awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Dr. Whitaker. All right. Thank you. And colleagues, have a great one. Thanks. You too.